Our sermon passage today is from Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, hmm, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. And as you find your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. We come as the people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who has defeated evil, the one who has defeated sin, the one who has defeated death, the one who brings life, the one who is hope, and the one to whom we cling. Now, God, would you stir in this people gathered in this place today, would you stir in us to to cut through all the pretense and to cling to Jesus? to cut through all the pretense and to say we believe that he changes people and that he can change us and that he's working and that his work is good and that I will go with him wherever he leads me. Oh God, would you create that in us today? Congregation, I want to give you a moment to speak directly to the Lord. The scripture tells us that in Christ, he hears our prayers, is eager to answer them. And so would you ask him to reveal himself to you? Would you ask him to meet you in your weakness? Would you ask him to transform you? Would you ask him to build his church? Would you ask him to bear much fruit in the world? Would you ask him? I'm going to give you some space to do that now. Now, Father, would you take these words which have been preserved and recorded and spoken by you, and would you speak them to us in power? We plead with you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's great to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, uh, please take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 16, uh, where Suzanne just read for us. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be some in the chair underneath you. We're at Redeemer, if if you're a guest with us today, we're studying our way through the book of Matthew. 
Um, and, and we've been in a section for the last couple chapters that are wrestling with this question. Really, who is Jesus? And really, what did he come to do? And now it, it kind of comes to the crescendo moment when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Particularly, Peter will speak up. But what we will see this morning is that Jesus is God's messenger who brings God's power and saving work to bear in the world. That's who Jesus is. That's unchanging. But for those wrestling with the question, who is Jesus? We see two important realities, the confession and the church. The confession and the church. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. Jesus is the Christ. That's who he is. Now we're coming to a place where we begin to see how people, how those near him respond to him. So, our first point, if you're taking notes this morning, is the confession. confession. So the passage begins this way. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So the first question is, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus is Wording a question with a bit of an answer in it. Uh, Son of man is the phrase that Jesus most often used to describe himself. Uh, it comes out of the latter half of the book of Daniel, where the Son of Man would be the messenger of the Ancient of Days as he brings about his work in the world. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so the disciples throw out some of the answers they've heard. Maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's the Elijah of whom we have been waiting. Maybe he's Jeremiah, one of the prophets of old. Or maybe he's just one of the prophets, one who speaks God's Word. So like good reporters, the disciples give to Jesus some reports of what has been said of him. Then we come to verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now there's an important reality here before we get into the answer. The them is plural, the you is plural. Jesus is not starting an interrogation of Peter directly. He's asking all the disciples, who do you say that I am? 
which then gives me, I believe, lots of reason to expand that to you. Who do we say that Jesus is? And Peter, being Peter, speaks up. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now we're going to spend a few minutes unpacking this, but Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And verse 17, Jesus says, Good answer. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter's given the good answer. He's given the good confession. He looks to Jesus and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now let's spend a few minutes thinking about the confession. What's he confessing? Christ is a synonym of Messiah, which is a synonym of the anointed one, which is the synonym of the one whom God sent to carry out God's work in the world. To say Jesus is the Christ is to say Jesus, this Jesus, is the one that the blessings of God flow through. This Jesus is the one who brings the work of God to the world. This Jesus is the one who brings the salvation of God to the world. This Jesus is the one whom God's people for generations upon generations upon generations have been waiting to come and bring God's blessings and kingdom to bear in the world. It most certainly wasn't his last name. It most certainly wasn't a flippant title. It was a declaration of identity. It was a declaration of power. It was a declaration of work. It was a declaration of what he is able to accomplish. Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the one, the chosen one, the one whom God the Father sent to bring his blessings to bear tangibly for his people. There's a lot there, right? That's what Peter is confessing. The son of the living God. Meaning, the representation of, the heir of, the inheritor of all things that belong to the Father. Jesus is the Son of the living God. And in this time and space, the Son of the King was treated like the King. And this time and space, the son of the king would ultimately inherit everything that belonged to the king, including us, the people of the king. And so we honored the son and followed the son. And in some kingdoms, worshiped the son as if he already was the king because the kingdom would be his. So this is not just a mere statement of like, oh yeah, Jesus came from God. No, Jesus is the one who 
has the authority and the power and the word and the honor of the living God because he makes the living God known to us. That's what Peter is confessing. So any of us, all of us, ultimately must wrestle with the question Jesus poses in verse verse 15. Who do you say that Jesus is? What do you say of him? And I believe from Peter, these aren't just mere words. They're not just mere facts. Like cake has flour and milk and butter and sugar. That sounds good, doesn't it? Anything made of flour, milk, butter, sugar, throw some bacon in there and we're like near perfect. Like that's a mere fact. That's not what Peter's offering here. He's not offering mere facts. He's offering statements that require a life to follow them. If Jesus really is the Christ, then to reject the Christ is to reject the work of God in the world. If Jesus really is the Christ, and I want to experience the work of God, the blessing of God, the salvation of God, the power of God in the world, I will go to the Christ. I will follow the Christ. These are words of allegiance. Words of, I put my life or I will try, put my life behind them. And son of the living God, if Jesus is the son of the living God, then we'll worship him and honor him and follow him and defer to him and listen to him because he is making God known to us. So friends, Wherever we are, the question before us from this passage is, how do we respond to Jesus? You can reject him. And if that's where you are, it's okay to be honest about that. But if you reject him, I plead with you to reconsider I plead with you to read through Matthew again. Come and talk with me. Talk with another believer. Talk with whoever brought you here today. But reconsider this Jesus. Because Peter is right. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to miss him is to miss Perhaps you have questions. Answer the, like, ask the questions. I promise you that Jesus is not afraid of our questions of him. His word can hold up to the scrutiny. Ask the questions. Teenagers and kids, those of you under the age of 18, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Your parents are going to hate what I'm about to say. I would rather you be 
honest about your response to Jesus while you're still under our roof so that we can love you and pray for you and encourage you and help you than for you to fake it. Because I'm in my mid-40s and we're the generation of former fakers who are now trying to undo all our fakery. And it's really stinking hard. Now also, parents, let me help you. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't reject him. But don't fake it either. We love you enough to listen. We love you enough to pray. We love you enough to lean in and not cast you out. Let's be honest about Jesus. Because something missiology has told us is the only way you're going to bring your friends around here to, to wrestle with honest questions about Jesus is if we've helped you wrestle with honest questions about Jesus. And the church in the South has a really bad report card right now. And we're probably not immune from that here at Redeemer. And none of this is in my notes, and I have no idea where it's going. But we're just going to trust the Spirit of the Lord. So maybe we reject him. Maybe we have questions. Let's ask them. And if we believe, if we walk the path of the good confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I think it's imperative that we ask this question, does my life go along with my words? Does my life, my thinking, my praying, my decision making, the words that I say, the actions that I choose, do they follow along with someone who truly clings to Christ. Then we come to Jesus' response to Peter in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now notice this. Blessed are you is a phrase of great spiritual power. It's not a synonym to the southern bless your heart. It's not that. Blessed are you means the blessing of God is upon your confession. The way to move toward the blessing of God is by moving toward the Son of God. There's not always an immediate one-to-one correlation there, but it's always in that way. Blessed are you. So we take from this that this confession of Peter is not only good, but it's commendable. It's not only commendable, but it's right. It's not only right, but it's something we should consider. Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
Now, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you, you don't come to this confession just by observing a few miracles. You don't come to this confession just by doing a factual analysis of the magazine articles. You don't come to this confession through logic alone. You don't come to this confession through experience alone. You come to this confession through the Father who opens minds and opens hearts and moves toward truth. The good confession in a person clinging to the Christ is a gift from above. It's a gift from above. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, and the good confession defines who you are, then God's love is all on you. And God's power is working in you. And there's evidence of his grace all around you. See it and cling to him. And friends, this means that our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends who are far from the Lord, you're not going to bludgeon them into the kingdom. Your perfect argument is most likely not going to be the aha moment that changes the direction of their life and the beaten rhythm of their mind and heart. And that kind of stinks, doesn't it? Because we like to control things. What this means is it's a divine act of the Father to open a mind and open a heart to see Christ for who he is, which means let's cry out to him to do that work and let's speak the gospel and let's cry out and let's speak the gospel and let's cry out and let's speak the gospel, but let's cry out for the Lord to do his One final thought here on the good confession, because we haven't even got to the, the hard part yet. Um, and I do know what time it is. Is it, I don't have time to go back and retrace it, but if you go to Matthew 1 and, and, and follow forward, this isn't the first time that Peter has hinted at something being unique about Jesus. I mean, they left everything they had and followed him. Like, clearly they thought something was afoot, right? So this good confession of Peter having faith in Christ is something that's evolved over months and years and stories and stories and for us, chapters and chapters. Now, I do believe that we all come to a definitive place where we say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I cling to you, but often it's a slow and up and down kind of pathway toward faith. I think we can understand that and be gracious. Keep praying, keep proclaiming, keep praying, keep proclaiming. Jesus 
leads Peter to the good confession and commends him for it. And I commend this to you. Now, verses 18 through 20 lead us to the second point, the church. Jesus tells his disciples something else in this passage. He tells them that the people of the confession will be gathered as the people of Jesus. That there'll be an assembly, a gathering of the people. That we're not just out there all alone. Okay? Now for us, we're like, well, yeah, of course. Because most of us came to faith in Jesus through the ministry of a church of Christ followers, right? Not so for these guys. They weren't envisioning this. They were like, we left everything. We followed him. You should do the same thing. Come on, join our ragtag band. We're headed to Jerusalem, and he's going to be the king, and one of us will be the number two, and on it'll go. They, they didn't exactly know the end from the beginning, but they knew they were going to follow him. And so Jesus says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The word church here is literally a gathering of those who've been called out. A gathering of those, a, a, a physical gathering of those who've been called out. So the word ecclesia was not a merely Jewish word. It was a, it was a word that was used of gatherings of, of all types. But Jesus is saying, those of the confession will be gathered into my gathering, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He goes on and says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay. I got to do a little theology nerd for a minute, okay? So if you like theology nerd, here we go. If you don't, just give me a second, okay? Since the Reformation, and a little before, yeah, um, <laughs> since the Reformation, a little before, this passage has been used to argue about some of the distinctions between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant churches, okay? The particular distinction is this. Is Jesus saying that he's going to build his church on Peter and a successor of Peter's followers who will be in charge of the church? No, he's nowhere near that. He doesn't mention the successors of Peter. He doesn't mention infallibility. He doesn't mention exclusive authority on Peter's part. So, are then the Protestant reformers wrong to argue back against that position? No, they're right. But in that massive boxing match, we miss the point of this passage, which is this. The people of Jesus are gathered under the leadership of those Jesus appointed like Peter and the apostles. And what binds them together is the good confession. And this is a gift and a blessing. There's one more truth here. 
When Peter says, I, or when Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, I don't think that God is making Peter the judge of men. Rather, the Lord is saying that those who belong to him will be connected to the ecclesia, to the gathering. And those who are not will not be. Which then means Jesus doesn't save us to leave us on islands, but he saves us to move us into the gathering of those who know and love and belong to Christ and are loved and served by Christ. Christ. That's the beauty of this passage. And if you want to buy me lunch someday this week and argue about what rock means and argue about what Peter means and argue exactly about is the rock upon which the church is going to be built Peter's confession or Peter himself or something in the middle, I'll happily eat your food and talk to you all day long. Because it does matter. It does. Don't, so don't hear me saying such questions don't matter. But for this morning, the declaration is, Peter, you've made the good confession. And in this realm, I'm going to build my church upon the confession and the confessor. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, it doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against Redeemer. It doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against First Baptist or Long Hollow or the Methodists or the Lutherans or the Churches of Christ. It doesn't say that. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against the gathering of Jesus' people that will last forever. Some, some of you may or may not know this, but... We're here today because a church, there's a couple of fine brothers sitting right back here, a church that was dwindling in number gave us their property for zero dollars and zero cents. They're able to do that because they understand and understood that the church of Jesus would outlast them, either in life or in name on a sign. But we're the church of Jesus, just like they were the church of Jesus. We share the faith. We share the confession. We love you, and we are so grateful for your kind gift to us. But this is about Jesus. It's about his church, and the gates of hell, Jesus says, will not prevail against it. Period. And then the binding and loosening, kingdom of heaven, man, Hundreds of books have been written about this. You can also take me to lunch, a separate lunch, to talk about these things. <laughs> but minimally, what Jesus is saying is there is a correlation between those who belong to the Lord in eternity and in those who belong to his people here. There's a, there is a correlation there. The church matters. So in American individualism, there is this new reality of I love Jesus but not his church it doesn't work that way it just doesn't work that way and this passage about the keys and about binding and loosening speaks to that 
It's basically saying that we should let into the ecclesia those who are of the good confession and belong to the king. And we should do everything in our power to keep the ecclesia pure such that those who are a part of it are those who belong to the king. And that might be a hard reality, but, but Jesus is going to come back to this in chapter 18. And so I'm going to defer all your questions to there because we'll talk about it more. But minimally, what Jesus is saying is connection with Jesus is connection with his people. And the citizens of the kingdom are also connected to the gathering of his people. So by way of maybe just pastoral encouragement, the huge blessing of the gospel is that we are welcomed into the presence of God as beloved sons. Jesus did that for us. But this passage seems to connect that confession of oneness with God with a community of Christ followers here and now. I just want to lovingly exhort that the cohesiveness and the connection and the power of the church is not merely sitting in the same room to sing songs together and not merely listening to me rant on for too long. But I think we run to Jesus together. And I think the Lord's given us one another so we can help one another run to Jesus together. Let's lean into that and not turn away from it. Please, please, let's lean into that. Confessed sin is a step toward reconciliation with the Father. Confessed struggle is a step toward healing and honesty. Admitted brokenness is a step out of making peace with brokenness. And if you're guilted, shamed, or made to feel afraid because you're honest about how much you need Jesus, please call me because I want to make sure that that's not the culture here. We're the people of Jesus bound together by the confession such that we can live out our confession and welcome others into the people. So our Father in God, would you please work in this, in this room today? Would you please bear fruit in this room today? Would you please stir your people to walk in your ways today? Would you please bring salvation Today, would you please bring commitment to yourself today? Please, Father, would you work? We pray in Jesus' name.